Hi, this is Katrina from Katrina and the Waves, and you're listening to the fabulous The Blend. Ow! It is great to have Nick Van Eed on the show. You are the founding member of one of the great bands, one of the great vocalists from the 80s and 90s cutting crew. It is a pleasure to have you on The Blend, my friend. Thank you very much, especially the vocalist uh, thing. I don't often get that, but um, yeah, I'm proud of my voice. And I, at 57, I'm still actually. I think I'm still. I, th- I think I'm singing better now than I did when I was 26. You know, it's really odd that that is so true. I, I've been talking to a lot of stars from the 80s and 90s, and their voices have gotten better. Why is that? I think it's grief. I think it's. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, debt. I think it's um, all those things that that maybe savor us a bit more. But in my case, um, I, I think I do. You know what? A, a serious answer is about ninety-two. I had ten years off, and I was a I was a pretend manager. I was a dreadful manager, and I produced. I produced well, but I was a bad manager. So I didn't go out every night and sing, and I didn't stay up till two in the morning and do all those things I still do now. So I think that little gap gave me a bit of, um, bit of, uh, bit of uh, relief on the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, there you go. Yeah, but I do think, I will just add that I think that you should only be doing these shows if you're singing good. And there's a few of them out there that it's quite interesting when you hear them. <laughs> that, that's to say the least. And now that they're singing with their own tracks, they're doing so many other things that... I, you know, it drives me psycho listening to, um, what is it, auto-tune and, and everything of that sort. Yeah, well, so be it. You know, I'm not going not gonna to judge anybody. We're all out there, and being a musician is tough, and uh, the, the new world has given us oldies, you know, a chance. Well, you and I, um, imagine us doing this, thinking of doing this when we were our age, when we were 20 years old. Yep. We were just, you know, dinosaurs, and the music business is fantastic. It's just beautiful the way it has extended everybody's life uh, lifespan. So, oh, to all those listeners out there, I'm still standing. I am still standing. <laughs> so how did you guys regroup? Before we talk about the early days, so you've gone 10 years, you're living life, you're probably enjoying life. What got you guys back together? I think that after Kevin died, um, which was about 10 years ago, Kevin, my old uh, founder member, Kevin McMichael, Mm -hmm. it was a massive shock, obviously, because he died. And that's that's a shock for anything, just being on this planet. But when you when you look for something in the music business that makes it special, he he had everything. He made it easy. He made it fun. So that was a, a, a big loss to lose. And then I found Gareth Moulton, my guitarist now, and he never tried ever to be Kevin. He just was mm-hmm. this beautiful man and a, a very, very fine guitarist. So we just picked around, did a few songs, and then really it was about, to get back to your question, I mean, it was about suddenly realizing I had about 15 songs that, I was very, very happy to share with the world. Um, I'm very lucky to, to not to need or want to make an album every year. And this was a great selection. I felt they had a great personal collection to me. 
and there were lyrics in there that um, I hadn't dared write before. So that's what that that was the main thing. I put a bunch of boys together, and I can tell you now, they're all local lads. They're pub guys. These are the boys that I get up on a Saturday night with and play with, and they're just honest boys. Set their gear up and played. Well, they played anything that they wanted to do, not what I wanted them to do. So that's why the album maybe has so many lovely colors to it. So it's essentially, it feels like, after listening to the CD, it, it, it's, to me, it has a feeling that it takes us all the way back to 1986. Would you say that's true? It does in many, in, in some ways. Um, it, it does in, um, I don't know, if, if what you're referring to is the, the lyrical content and the melody, but I think in many other ways, it's got but nothing all at all to do with '86, only because of the genres. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about genres and 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 your radio show and everything, you know where, especially in America, because you know I I lived in Canada for four or five years, so I know about North American radio, where it's very genre. That <laughs> a it funny is. word, uh, genre. Uh, you know specific. Um, I just thought, oh, you know, sod it. Let, let's just write 10 songs that make me feel good. And then you guys have to sort it out and go, right. I can't play this or <laughs> I want to play it or whatever. You know. Well, this show being an 80s and 90s show, but that that's not relevant. What I was talking about is it just had that feel, that freshness that your first early CD and tracks had. Oh, there you go. Sorry. And sorry if I missed so, that. Yes, no, no, no. Absolutely. So if we didn't know who you were, you know, we yeah. all do, it's just something, it, it's like a new CD that just came out that you might hear on The Voice. You might hear something of that sort. Okay, good. That, that's, a, that's a lovely compliment, and thank you. Um, yeah, when we recorded the first album, you know, we didn't even know what we were doing. You know, <laughs> uh, I, even though I'd been around for 10 years, um, as a skinny little boy playing in a new wave band and, um, you know, girls and, uh, you know, you get paid at the end with a sack of pound notes. It was wonderful. <laughs> or a small sack of pound notes, may I say. Um, they, they were the fabulous days and nobody knew what they were doing. Obviously, you, you were, uh, I was a child of the, of the, well, the 50s, dear God. Um, but yeah, yeah, the 80s was in me, it was infused in me. So if, if you're saying that this new album has that, I don't know quite what I'm going to hear next and the excitement <laughs> of that, then thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It's the very thing that we miss, or at least uh, all of us miss, from vinyl. Each track was so different. Then we we could sit and you know the obsession of flipping the vinyl over with the CDs. Now they just don't have that, and they probably never did for some of us from the '80s. And I, I'm sure you miss your hairstyle from the '80s, don't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I wish I could have my hair from the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I love it. We actually thought about making. Um, you may have heard this before from other interviews, but. The album has some, uh, you know, six up songs and six down songs. And we actually thought about looking at it as an old vinyl album where um, side one was the up and side down was the two. And you could do that in those days. You could could make this whole long 50-minute, um, experience have, have an, uh, uh, you know, a, a continuity, but as you and I know, we are in a world now of cherry picking mm. and cherry picking is a, is a sad thing because, um, 
you know, I understand it totally, but I, I think it's sad because track four on side two, you know, as you know, on the, uh, I don't know, the Bon Jovi album or whatever, was the best one you liked. And often we don't get to hear that because we cherry pick whatever iTunes throws at us. And this album, I'm very proud to say is, um, yeah, I don't care if, if you don't think all 10 of them are good, but that's what I tried to achieve. <laughs> Now, talking about singles itself, we're talking to the lead singer of the band, Cutting Crew, Nick Van Ede. With your first single, the, the one, and let's face it, it launched to number one. You were heard all around the world with that. Did you pick the single, or did the record company pick that single? Hmm. I, th- I think I can think of a really good kind of uh, journalist expression. It picked itself. Oh, God, <laughs> I hate that. Um, you know when 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 somebody writes a song in their bedroom, and then they go to their friend's bedroom that's a bit bigger that has a keyboard, mm-hmm. and then they go to a slightly bigger bedroom where there's a guy that can sing a harmony on it, and then it suddenly becomes something a bit special. At that point, I thought, wow, you know, you know, this this does sound kind of interesting and the lyric everybody was talking about the lyric and i'll tell you now when we actually recorded it terry brown was producing it terry brown from rush and Mm -hmm. you know uh, blue rodeo and so on and still my best friend we recorded it and it was nearly finished and we were in a little studio in chipping norton doesn't that sound good chipping norton and it's down in there in uh, oxfordshire in in england and we had a keg of beer that was a great bit you didn't get any food but you got you got a keg of beer every night isn't that cool and that a keg is like 15 pints um but we were playing it and people were coming in from the the neighboring studios and saying hey who's this band or what's that so you know short answer it was special and it really did fly and it was astonishing um how something from a band that has nothing uh you know just took off yeah there you go. Now, do you think it hurt the longevity of the band just hitting the mark from the get-go? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Of course it did. Of course it was the most wonderful moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you have a number one in America um, on your first single, it, it it is everything one would ever dream of, but then you have to match it or yeah. at least yeah. come up with something close to it. And I think to my credit, I never, ever sat down and tried to repeat that, you know, sit down and write another died in your arms. I remember at the, um, here's name dropping. I remember at the Grammy Awards, um, my publisher uh, in a lift, in an, uh, what do you say in America, in an elevator with me um, saying, hey, Nick, uh, you know, really good to be here. You know, how do you think you're going to do tonight? And I said, oh, it doesn't matter really. He said, but you're never going to write another day in your arms, are you? And I said, well, thanks a lot, mate. You know, um, I probably won't. And history tells I didn't. Um, so, yes, it is an albatross, but it is the best, beautiful, beautiful mistress and passport for me. And that's that's the deal. Now, I know for a fact that's not just the other the only single that you had. I could sit here and rile them off because every teenage girl knew every word to Died in Your Arms. Every teenage girl knew the lyrics to I've Been in Love Before. My God, did we play that to death. 
as well as uh, Everything But My Pride. And I don't remember the last one. Was 1990 or 91? Um, the Last Thing? The Last or... Thing. That's it. So there you go. You had four. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I'm, I'm not hung up on it. You know, I know, and I know you're not suggesting that I am hung, hung up on it. Mm-hmm. We had some good um, American radio play, um, as is shown, you know, in my royalty statements. You know, let's get down to it. Yeah. America is fantastic. America and Germany, if, if nobody's ever said this to you before, are the most loyal uh, countries in the world. They stick by you. Yep. They're very open to what you want to do next. And they will uh, they will forgive, mm-hmm. and they will go. Okay, that was all right. Let's hear the next one. I live in England, and England is effing brutal. You know, it's huh. like it it moves on every twenty minutes. Huh. Now, was there a song in the eighties or nineties that you wish that you recorded, that you wrote, you know, from <laughs> another band that you just heard it and you went, "My God, I wish I wrote that song." Okay, um, this, in two weeks' time, I have a band that I put together every Christmas mm-hmm. with Three Wise Men and a Virgin. <laughs> and it's uh, a cover band and all the Cutting Crew songs as well and the new songs as well. Right. But the one song we always play and I always sing, and I know Neil very well, and he's from Crowded House. And he is the, the one of the, well, if, you know, Ray Davis... David Bowie, Neil Finn, just sensational writer. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I would love to have written Don't Dream It's Over. And I'll tell you a quick story, uh, if I may, because it's a cracker. We, I met him for the first time about 10 years after we had the hit. And, and just to give a back background, they were about number four going up, mm-hmm. and we were about number 20. And we jumped over them to number two and then went to number one. And I met him. And I, may I swear on your show or not? You may. Okay. He said, Nick, all right there, mate. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. I went to see them playing in London. He said, good to meet you, mate. He said, fucking died in your ass. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> something like, fucking died in your ass. Well, if you think that was good... Then fine on you, something like that. It was, sorry about the, 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 the story. But it was wonderful, and we hugged, and that was it. It was done. Um, so, But back to your question, Don't Dream It's Over is one of the greatest songs ever written, and I sing it every Christmas, and I adore him. Oh, my God, that is just too funny. That That's a pretty funny story, that one and the, the Grammy one. Those are just priceless. <laughs> now, is there anything that you miss from those early days that you wish you could relive? I mean, that's a tough question. Like, is, is there that moment that you wish you could relive two or three more times? We played Radio City Music Hall, supporting Starship. Oh, okay. And um, you can never get the timing right. So we were, um, I would never ever say bigger than them, but we were hot. So we had the Grammy yeah. Awards. So we yeah. were, you know, the, the interviews backstage were more about us than Starship. And may I say that... Um, uh, Grace and uh, sorry, I can't remember his name. Um, Grace, anyway, the band were, were beautiful, but we were getting a lot of attention. But my story is that Kevin, my guitarist, was Canadian, so he knew really what Radio City Music Hall meant. You know mm-hmm. about an iconic, massive thing that he'd, as a Canadian, had 
you know, like, oh my God, we're playing Radio City Music Hall. And I was like, oh, okay, this is another gig, you know, and turn up and play. And he was being sick backstage. And I'll always remember holding my best friend and guitarist and trying to stop him being sick and saying, hey, man, you know, we're doing well. You know, uh, this I, this is some place in New York, I guess. And I think that's lovely. So if an American came over and played the Marquee Club in London, you know, um, they, they might not get what that means to me. So I, I hope that makes sense to the American listeners. Oh, it sure does. I, I'm sure you're talking about Mickey Thomas. He was the other singer with Grace Lake. Excuse me, Mickey, yeah. Yeah, and who I've met twice now since on the Rewind tours, you know, we all get to play these 80s festivals, and he was sensational. My God, can he still sing great? Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of the 80s tours and the 90s tours and the Rewind. I think it's, uh, it makes me feel young, continue to feel young, so... Yeah, well, I'm off, I'm, uh, before I was speaking to you, I was arranging the flights for us to fly out to Mexico where we play in December with Wang Chung and the Romantics, Gene Loves Jezebel, um, and When in Rome, uh, we're headlining, and um, yeah, it's great, and I've never been to Mexico, and I wish, so can I put out to Chicago, if there's a promoter out there who wants to bring us out, we're ready, man. <laughs> hey, I am working on that myself. I actually had most of those bands have been on my show, and I'm good friends with the guys from When in Rome, so... You know Rob, yeah? Yes, I do. And maybe, just maybe, I should MC some of those dates with Rob. I think you should, man. You look like the man that can do it. And um, I think that let's get down to the new modern yeah. world of touring, okay? The new modern world of touring is mm-hmm. that um, U.S. visas are about 3000 bucks just to, just to do anything. So if I want to come in and work one night in a pub you know it's three thousand bucks if i want to come and do a 25 date tour with bruce springsteen it's still three thousand bucks but cutting crew are not going to be touring with bruce springsteen so if you put that alongside a six-piece band um the, those that's just a start off costs and all the flights and everything so i love the way that the new people are thinking about these combination tours and i've done many of them mm-hmm. in europe and one in we played the rosemont theater you know nearby yep. you uh-huh. um, a, few, a few years back but it is the new thing and i'm teaming up with wang chung at the moment and uh we're trying to do that we're trying to be clever about it where we where we will be the wang crew <laughs> I loved, I had, let's see here. I don't remember, um, let's see, Wang Chung, I had, uh, I had those guys on early on too when they were doing some of the other um, tours out there. They had a new CD, and now you have a new CD out, so we have to talk about that. I was just playing it earlier today, uh, Add to Favorites. That is a just badass CD, my friend. Thank you very much. You like the title? I do. I actually do, and being an American, whenever we see the U in the word favorites, we like that. A bit of English, bit of old England coming in, yeah. And I thought when we when we chose it, uh, even the record company said, "Oh my God, there's going to be all this shit from America, you know, where they don't, it doesn't get recognised in the royalties." So I said, "Hey, relax." Um, yeah. So yeah, good. I love the title. I think mm-hmm. I had to search on Google to, to, to nobody had ever used it before yeah. because every time you buy a T-shirt or I buy my dog a bag of biscuits, you know, it's add to favourites, yeah. and it was yeah. still there. 
and it and it's a resounding title for the album because of what what it means to me and what does it on a global sense does it mean to you and even the first single is it uh, the first single that's going to be till the money runs out yes it will be we're going to do okay. the big push in america we, we decided to do uh, britain before christmas and we're going to really hit you hard in the new year okay till the money runs out is the new single great great video with me on a deserted beach in england uh, falling in love with an ATM machine, uh, which is pretty weird, actually. If you go to our website, you'll see that it's rather odd, may I say. Um, but but I, I know what you're asking. Uh, the album was, uh, I hope you've heard this before from your other interviewees. When we get older, there are no A&R men. Right. When you get older, you get ballsier. When you get older, you want to say some things that you want to have said that you didn't say before. So I wrote these songs, and when a song started sounding a little bit like, I don't know, Jackson Brown, or okay. a little bit like Joe Cocker, or a little bit like, um, at one point, you know, even Little Feet, my God, you know, I love them. I, I, I thought, well, why stop? You know, why stop and try and make it something that isn't what the song becomes? So we have 10 songs, and they're all uh, unchecked by anybody but me. And there you go, add to favorites. Now, did that give you, I, I would say, uh, so let's step back here. So you've got a CD, you got new songs, you can say what it is that you want or whatever that you're thinking. What advice would you give to your younger version of you when right after you hit America, you hit number one, what do you wish you could have told yourself back then if you were to run into yourself, kind of like a back to the future? Okay, yeah. So you mean after the number one? Or yes, when I was you've before? now hit number one, okay? You're now going out to the Grammys, and you run into yourself now. So a young, an older you has now gone back in time. That's a fab question. Um, Other than don't I, go on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, be prepared for disappointment because uh -huh. even back in the 80s, um, uh, I put this in context, we were at the very end of the 80s and we were, well, I always call ourselves a rock band. Our, yeah. our songs yeah. sounded pop, yeah. but our live performances were rock band. I'm a rocker. I always was and will be. But you, we were just hitting that into the 90s where these amazing new sounds were coming out. You know, the, the Soul to Soul, yeah. um, Nana Cherry, Janet Jackson was coming in with stuff that we never have. You know, so that stuff. So there was a collision going on. So back to your question, be prepared for disappointment, yeah. even if you're riding the highest wave you've ever heard. But more importantly than that, I mean, always be true to yourself because mm -hmm. I think the, the the record buyer and and everybody else will spot it if you're trying to be something you're not. If you ever ever try to uh, catch the wave or something like that, I think it, it's very very see through, especially for your fans that bought the new album. Okay, the, we sold um, three million albums. I think we sold about nearly one and a half million albums on broadcast and it's about it's about really cool 80s rocking 
sort of uh, a little bit you know twisted stuff you know Thomas Dolby yeah. Howard Jones coming in with my old roots with Brian Adams and all that stuff so with that's our cutting crew thing but if I suddenly tried to make a a song uh, an album that had um, you know R&B beats in because you're trying to catch the wave it's that's ridiculous so that's that's my second bit of advice and the third bit is and you'll like this a lot because you're in radio and you have to deal with this every bloody day of your life. You know, I hope you agree with me. You know, never listen or trust the experts. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Now, I'm going to interview you now. I want you to just give me about three sentences on what I've just said. What about not uh, not listening to the experts? Yeah, come on. I'm First, interviewing let's you. Let's face now. it. They are the most overpaid unrelenting pieces of crap that know nothing. They know nothing. They never took the chance to get into the industry, to, to do anything. They're usually the lawyers and and people that we just pay. Now, being a consultant, I would certainly like $300 an hour, but they're just consultants. They don't know any better, and they're, let's face it, they know nothing about the future. That's very honest of you, and thank you. Yeah, I mean, not, you know, there's some good ones in there, yeah. I'm sure, but... Trusting the experts is the thing. I, I do a few, um, you know, uh, seminars for the kids. Yeah. And it's fantastic. You get these lads turning up with guitars that you can't even tune. Yeah. Or, or um, I don't know, just somebody turns up and says, I play piano and there's no piano. These are beautiful young people. Mm -hmm. And they they might be the next um, David Bowie or whatever. Yeah. And, I, and I always say to them, if somebody comes on to you like he's an expert, don't trust them. Um, check them out, you know, because yep. they might be your, your route through to the next stage. But in my experience, the best people are people who've, well, mostly musicians, um, guys like you. I get a nice vibe from you. You know, you've been there, you've done it, yep. and we've all made mistakes. Um, but it's those people that sell you that lie. And I have so many friends, and including me, who have two years of my life recently have been lost. Two years, and I'm 57, trusting an expert. Yeah. It's yeah. wrong. It's wrong. Hey, it all. The one thing I tell everyone, and besides uh, telling all the youngsters never to get in the radio, because I don't need any more competition. But you yeah, gotta, got to <laughs> trust your instincts. It's the only thing that's ever going to be right. Is how you, what your instincts are, and what your guts tell you. Just like a song, it's going to tell you right then and there if it's good or if it sucks. Let's face it. Just like my interview, sometimes they, I just know that they suck. So not this one, of course. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you'll you'll turn the tape off and you'll go. That wasn't really a very exciting interview. I'm I'm not pretending this would be an exciting interview, but I hope it's with, with a bit of information in it. Oh yeah. And I, and I I like you a lot. And I tell you tell you a nice story going back to the song bit. Dying your arms written was written in a day with the keyboard intro and the um, every harmony everything. Uh, Been in Love Before was written, I swear, on my daughter's life, was written in about an hour. Um, and I have written other, I think, better songs that, that took five months and aren't better songs. You know, who knows whether that's better or not. And one last story is that I'm working with an old lady. I work as a hospice volunteer for people who are dying of cancer. And I have to go around there and, um, you know, mow their lawns, cut their hedges mm -hmm. and sit with them. 
But the latest lady I look after, she told me to stop cutting the hedges and just come and write a song with her. So she told me a story about when she was a young lady, about a kiss that was stolen from a young boy. Nothing nasty, just stolen. So I went back home and I picked the guitar up and I wrote a song in eight minutes. And I think it is one of the greatest songs I've ever written because it was about responding to an emotional uh, response. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a funny sentence. Um, but it, it's beautiful and it will be... I don't even know what to do with it, man. You know, I've sung it to her and she's... Uh, She's alive again. <laughs> oh, that is a great, great story. Cutting Crew, they're going to be on tour in 2016. Nick, why don't you tell us your um, your Twitter? You got Facebook. Why don't you tell us what those addresses are? Oh, gosh, I know nothing. Well, we'll go to www.cuttingcrew.biz. That's the website. It's all there. Love you, America. I'd love to come out and play a game for you. Um, yeah, let's come out and see it. Absolutely, and I will probably catch you out on the road, probably out on the West Coast. Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Here is a double play from Cutting Crew's brand-new CD, Add to Favorites. It's the first single, Till the Money Runs Out, and a track called Beautiful. 